Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Because we are honest brokers here, things don't surprise us like they do other people. We are not surprised when things happen because we're speaking about them so clearly, so so directly, and, and with such focus. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, so good to be with you. Um, there was a... It was a one-two punch over at National Review. We should be clear. I, I, it's not that I only watch National Review. I only read. I, I, I'm everywhere. But there are people that I associate with. Uh, Jim Garrity is one of those people. Noah Rothman is one of those people. You've heard them on the show numerous times. And it's not because I agree with them. It's because in a world of people who want to show you the depths of their ideological purity... I see them as people who are thinking. I follow Miranda Devine, Carol Markowitz, because I think they're thinking. Nicole Gelinas over at City Journal, because she's thinking. Uh, um, Mark Hemingway. Uh, they're, they're not the everyday names, but I think that they're they're trying to get at something. And then... They have been very open. I, I, I could, I've interviewed Nicole Gelinas before. Nicole Gelinas is one of two people in my entire radio career who rendered me speechless. Speechless. Literally had nothing to say. She actually changed my mind in an interview that was not only live on radio, but was live uh, on, a, on a streaming service called PJTV back in the day. We were talking about, oh God, this was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. We were talking about the idea that there could be a change to um, tax code and you could no longer write off uh, your um, interest, your mortgage interest. You can no longer get a credit for that for the interest you paid on your mortgage. And I said, you know, people buy a house uh, based, uh, you know, on certain things and based on economic realities. And if you can't write off the interest, you're really affecting people's ability to buy a home. And she said to me, why is the federal government in the business of incentivizing home buying? I'm on air. I'm right here, guys. I am like this. And there's a video camera in my face. And I went silent. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It could have gone on to a billion. I have no idea how long this. I mean, I I, I have five seconds, 10 seconds. Sometimes I, I, I change in the story, but that part doesn't matter. I stopped cold thought about it right there on the spot and said, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. And I moved on to the next subject. She was right. She was right. Why in the world would we have a federal government that's incentivizing home buying? That's not the job of the federal government. Buy a house, don't buy a house. Now, I believe that taxation should always be less and I can make that argument, but as a concept of we do this so you'll do that, that's the government trying to change your behavior through basically an economic extortion. Why would I ever be in favor of that? Solid. Solid. I like people who think. When I saw Noah... Right in the pages of National Review, the Democrats' growing cognitive problem. I said, here is a great example of a story 
that you and I are going to say, yeah, we knew that. We know that Joe Biden and John Fetterman and Dianne Feinstein are not okay. We have known this. We have discussed this. While we may have joked about it, we have also engaged it seriously. When we share this. Is, is it staggering? Is it a staggering responsibility that, uh, that, that the head of a bank could literally, could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have, I mean, like, uh, and, and they also realize is that, that, that now they have, it's in, it guaranteed, a guaranteed way to be saved by, again, by no matter, no matter by, by how. That's Senator John Fetterman. Anybody who thinks he's okay is out of their mind. And the Democratic Party will act like nothing's wrong here. CNN and MSNBC and ABC, NBC, CBS, The Washington Post, The New York Times. This should be a front page story. Holy crap. That should be the headline. I'm talking about the big font, baby. You can't have this. This guy's not okay. Senator Dianne Feinstein is not okay. Senator Dianne Feinstein was asked by a Los Angeles Times staff writer and a writer for Slate about her return to work. She said, I haven't been gone. And she goes, you should follow the, I haven't been gone, I've been working. And when asked whether she meant she'd been working from home, she said, no, I've been here, I've been voting. Please, you either know or you don't. Are you kidding me? Does she think that she's been working? Does she think she's been in the U.S. Senate after dealing with shingles, which is a pretty ugly thing to deal with. It's painful. It's rough. I, 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 I feel for her in that regard. But she has had cognitive issues before this. It was known that she has cognitive issues. It was known and discussed, I think we go back to 2019 and possibly earlier, that she was slipping. And the Democratic Party did nothing. And I believe that this is something that should absolutely be discussed on the daily. How dare the Democratic Party throw this at America and say, deal with it, suckers. How dare you not take care of your own? How dare you not care about people? This is obscene. And now you want to tell me that Joe Biden, who you know isn't okay, is going to run for president again and be president at 81 with his lack of cognitive ability? Maybe that is why I should take this story from Jim Garrity with a little more seriousness. Because when I first read it, I said, get out of the crazy. Could Joe Manchin become the H. Ross Perot of 2024? What? You got to read the piece. You got to read the piece that Biden running does not satisfy. And while we know that Democrats are running Biden because they have no other options, they are resigned to it. He had one good moment in the State of the Union where I guess whatever it is they they hop him up on. I'm saying there are a couple of uh, B12 shots. That's my theory. But I'm not a doctor. So please, I'll let somebody else come up and tell me what's really going on. He did that and they're like, all right, it's not like we can run Kamala Harris. Because they fully understand you cannot run Kamala Harris. (laughs) 
They're going to run Biden. They can't run Buttigieg. <laughs> that's actually Buttigieg's laugh. Um, that's no joke. It's actually his laugh. So is it possible that Manchin runs? He has a real challenge in the Senate, in a Senate race against uh, Jim Justice, who's the governor. Governor's a Republican. I mean, really, a real, real challenge. And and Joe Manchin's a guy who hasn't had to worry about a challenge in West Virginia his whole career. And we talked about this yesterday. Well, now this conversation coming up, is it possible, is it possible that Joe Manchin could run with somebody like Susan Collins, Republican from Maine, and try and offer up a third option to America? By the way, that third option to America would be devastating for the Democratic Party. I think much less so for the Republicans. Much less so. But maybe these two stories actually have connection. That the absolute disgrace that is the Democratic Party in their, this, the Democrats growing cognitive problem, as Noah Rothman writes it, leads some Democrats like Joe Manchin to say, well, I could run for Senate again, but maybe there's an opportunity because we've got this cognitive problem. Maybe America wouldn't mind something cogent. Maybe America wouldn't mind an option. As far as I'm concerned as a radio host, oh, let's see it. The more, the merrier. Is it probable? I don't think so. Is it possible? Well, I didn't think so. And now I think it's maybe possible? Hmm. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Sorry, I can't do anything at all. I registered, I bid, I came home with a 1996 Ford Bronco, and now, now I am just all in invested in turning this into the coolest thing ever, and when I do sell it, I'm going to make bank billions of dollars. Hold on, wait, that's just in. I'm not going to make billions of dollars. I'll be lucky to get my money back. Still worth it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on, everybody? I've been watching uh, the, the, the Meekum auction, and I was a bidder. Um, things are going for prices that I'm fascinated uh, by because some things did not go for what I thought they would. Uh, there's this 67 Mustang Fastback GT, uh, four-speed manual, uh, Moss Green. I think I think it, the the bid when I last saw it was like fifty two grand, and I'm like, I don't know if I consider that to be a lot or or way too little. Like I don't know. Like some of them you see, and it goes for twenty six thousand. You're like, well, wait, why is that twenty six, and why is that like like fifty plus? And you gotta have, you gotta know what you're doing. I'm telling you, if you go to one of these auctions and you're a bidder, you have to know what you're doing. Otherwise, you have to expect. The, the, the realization must come to you that you're going to spend too much. You will overspend. That's what's going to happen. Did that happen to me? Uh, a touch. A touch. A scotch. A, a little bit. Uh, I, I, I went to go pick it up, right? Because right, I, I bought it on online. I did the bidding online, and I've learned now that, yeah, you got to accept the fact that by the time you click versus the time you, you, you get, 
Um, that can there can be a difference. There can be a gap, and that gap cost Daddy money yesterday. And so that's why I when I, when I first got, I was like, "Are you kidding?" And it wasn't like it was a ton, but it was just enough to make me feel comfortable to uncomfortable. That I mean, that's really what it was about. I was comfortable with. The, the, the idea of getting it, because it wasn't what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for a Ford Bronco. I was looking for a classic. I was looking at Eldorados, which all went for way more than I thought they would. Clearly, like the Eldorado, the 76 Eldorado, oh, that people are looking. I was looking at a, at a 70 DeVille, some other stuff like that, a uh, uh, 67 Lincoln Continental, you know, uh, convertible suicide doors. Who does it? No chance. No. Somebody wanted that in a much, much deeper way than, than I did and was willing to put their money uh, behind that. And I had seen this this Bronco, and it was really low. I'm like, Bronco's fun. That's a car of my youth. I could, I could have some fun with that, do some things to it. And so I ended up spending a little bit more than I thought I would. I go and pick it up. Friend uh, takes me. Um, for, it took forever to, to find the thing. Find uh, the, the thing. First things first, it starts right up. It starts right up. The windows, they're electric, they're wor- they work. The air conditioning works. I'm like, hot damn, I'm in. Does it have a little more rust than I thought it would? Yes, it did. Is the paint job perfect? No, not at all. But you can get it repainted. You can get it wrapped. There's some things you can get cleaned. You can do the... You can do some things to it that that aren't necessarily break the bank worthy. Um, um, Abe, I, I drive my friend back to where his car is, and I'm checking some things on the, and I discover okay, it does have a weird electrical issue, but that could be a fuse, that could just be a wire. It's it's nothing to to panic uh, about. That don't don't lose your mind. I drive it home. It drives great. It drives great. Uh, suspension, uh, the 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 engine. Um, you know, I, I think maybe a, a, a transmission service, and I'm solid, solid there. The air conditioning, mwah, chef's kiss. I'm in, uh, and and so I, I I get the car, and I and I get it home, and I show it to my wife and the kids, and my kids are like, oh my god, tell me this is mine. So now I'm like, I'm a hero. Right? I am the I am the champion of the freaking world. My wife looks at this and goes, Did I ever own one of these? I'm like, did you ever own a Ford Bronco? She's like, I know I've been in this kind of car. It's like it's like like a construction vehicle kind of thing. And I'm like, who are you hanging out with that you are in a construction vehicle? Maybe we gotta have ourselves a conversation. And she's like, no, no, no. When I was when I was a kid, I was like, who were you hanging out with as a kid in a construction vehicle? And so it turns out everybody kind of digs it. So all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure it out. I, I mean, you can't pour a ton of money into it, but it's super fun. It's super fun, and I and I and I did I did the thing. So that's that. That is my update, right there. I just I just wanted to share the update. Uh, second update of the day. I don't know why so many people on the political left are bigots and think that people who come from other countries, like South American or Central American countries, are only here to pick our our, our food and our crops and clean our our houses. But this is Nikki Freed, the chairman of the Florida Democratic Party, a woman so reviled that she lost the the Democratic nomination for governor to Charlie Crist, who lost in a freaking landslide to Ron DeSantis. But they 
keep bringing her on MSNBC to call Ron DeSantis a homophobe and a racist. But listen to her. I don't even think that he's getting actual political advice. This is just who Ron DeSantis is. You know, we all know that on New Year's Eve two years ago, he was with the evangelical church. And then the 15-week abortion ban that's right now on the law, it came out like six weeks later. This is who Ron is. And when he doesn't have to to, to play to the middle, which is after a 19-point win, a supermajority in, in our state, he got to just be him. Um, all homophobic, racist as he is, he just got to be himself. And unfortunately, um, you know, this is the end result that we have a six week abortion ban in our state. Um, we've, you know, put permitless carry on on the books. Um, just today, he had three bills that went after our LGBTQ plus community. And it just keeps going over and over and over again. Every single day, he's just being himself. 800,000 migrants are going to leave the state of Florida. You were alluding to it earlier also. I don't know who's going to be doing the picking of, of the fields and during the harvest and who's building all these new homes for everybody who's moving to our state. They're all yeah. going to be gone. Who's going to build our homes and who's going to pick our crops? Because Ron DeSantis thinks that you need E-Verify. You actually should know who's legally able to work. That's that's something else. You don't think that you should actually know who's eligible to work in the U.S.? That's that's certifiable. That's crazy town. This is where the Democratic Party is. This is where they are. They don't think you should actually know. The Palm Beach Post reporting, E-Verify system in Florida aimed at scaring off workers and worse jobs. Who will fill in? So you're okay with the exploitation of these people. You talk about the fight for 15. Now you've got people talking about you need a minimum wage of $25 an hour. You are okay with the exploitation of these people. I think that's disgusting. I think it's terrible. And I think more importantly that uh, people coming across the border should know uh, that um, you're just not going to get a job. You better come in legally. Otherwise, there's no jobs for you. I think that's an incredibly important deterrent. I think that is solid and valuable. Why aren't we in favor of this? But I find it kind of stunning in a, in, a, in a not surprising way. Look how free they are to say we want people coming across the border so they'll pick our fruit and clean our house i should have to scrub my own toilet what are you kidding you don't want to see what that looks like after all the fruit i eat that they're picking that's nasty it's a weird flex man it's weird but they're doing it everywhere they are just super proud of their bigotry as a matter of fact, uh, this article from the Palm Beach Post says, if you're looking for a job in Florida, you might want to consider some red-hot new career opportunities, picking vegetables, tarring roofs, or cleaning hotel toilets. That is your local newspaper, Palm Beach, telling you that's all these people are good for. That's why we need them, to do these uh, jobs. It's more obvious than ever that the people pushing for illegal immigration are the Democrats. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.
this morning, I was absolutely incredulous about this thing I heard from Fox News. On my my radio station, you guys know I do a morning show on 93.1 FM WIBC, and then I've got the midday show, which is heard across Indiana, and then on weekends it's heard across the country, and then I've got Eat, Drink, Smoke, the cigar and bourbon uh, review show and lifestyle show that's coast to coast. Uh, and I'm not done by any stretch of the imagination. I'm having a pretty good time. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Well, you know, the show, the morning show starts at 6 a.m. So I'm in the chair. And at the top of the hour, uh, on WIBC, we run Fox News. You'll very often hear radio stations running a, a, a news break of all different kinds and, and, and stripes. So I, we, we run Fox News. There's a bunch of them that you can utilize. And while I'm listening, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half listening as I'm putting some things together to get ready for the show. And they're talking about Joe Biden, President Biden at the G7 summit in Japan. The G7 happens, was it once a year, once every other year? Uh, the industrialized democracies. It's Canada and France, it's Great Britain, it's Japan, um, uh, the United States, uh, and I, I'm, I'm missing two. But I think it's great when they talk about uh, democracies uh, and they also add Canada and France. Because if you've watched Canada over the last couple of years, vis a vis a vis a vis a vis there it is, COVID, um, yeah, not so much a democracy. Not. Not so much is Canada, and France never really has been. But they get together, they, they talk a little business, how do we ensure that we're dealing with China and Russia properly? These kinds of things make sense. Okay, you have the meetings. In a discussion of the meeting, this is how part of the Fox report went. This is how they described where they were meeting. They're actually meeting in Hiroshima. And this is how they described it. The president just met with Japan's prime minister before gathering with other G7 world leaders. Fox's Jonathan Savage has more. In a city bearing scars of war, a summit with hopes for peace. Hiroshima is the venue where in 1945 an American atomic bomb killed 140,000 people. This meeting of the G7 will focus on the war in Ukraine. That's how you describe Hiroshima? Hiroshima is the site where the United States killed 140,000 people. That is not a conversation about history, now is it? Certainly it doesn't engage the totality of history, does it? This is nuts. Why did the United States drop a bomb on Hiroshima? Isn't that a worthy conversation? The whole purpose of dropping Fat Man and Little Boy? That's that's what they were called, by the way. That was the 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 names of of uh, the the weapons. Now, Fat Man was actually Nagasaki. Little Boy was Hiroshima. How about the discussion that the Japanese attacked the United States at Pearl Harbor? How about we start there? Japan wasn't some victim. Japan started a fight. They attacked us at Pearl Harbor. Over 2,000 sailors and soldiers were killed, 2,400, 1,200 wounded. Half the military aircraft were damaged or destroyed. And when we decided we're going into the Pacific Theater, we're going to take on Japan head on, just like we're going to take on the Nazi threat, and we're going to beat the hell out of these guys, the Japanese never stopped fighting. 
after they decided to sacrifice all of those men on Iwo Jima, they still wouldn't stop. So Truman had a, a decision to make. Do I keep fighting in this conventional way, losing U.S. troops, or do I put an end to this nonsense? And it has to end because Hirohito won't stop. The Japanese, the imperialist Japanese army won't stop. So we had to drop the bombs. We had to put this thing to an end. Japan was never a victim. Japan started the fight and the fight got ended. That's what happened. The way Fox News just put that, oh my gosh, the terrible United States of America. Look at all the people they killed. Maybe they won't do that this time. <laughs> it's twisted. That was really twisted from Fox. Ugly stuff. Ugly stuff because it it's this, it's this way of trying to get you to think negatively about the nation. When I think of the United States regarding World War II, I only think in positive ways. This is not to say that everything was done perfectly and every person who was engaged in that war was perfect. But I have no interest. You, you wouldn't get me to say, you know what really made the U.S. military so wonderful in World War II? They didn't destroy any of the churches or schools. No, no, no. They absolutely destroyed churches and schools. And so they should have. Was there collateral damage? Absolutely there was. Somebody should have told Hitler to stop. Did churches and, or, or places of prayer and, and schools get destroyed in Japan? Absolutely uh, they did. And I'm glad Japan is, a, is an ally today. I'm glad Japan is as thriving as it is today. I think that's wonderful. I think that's a testament to them. And, of course, uh, the friendship of the United States. But do you think I feel bad that schools and churches or in places of worship got destroyed? No. If it meant the fighting being over, that's the price that got paid. I don't feel bad about that. But to state this is where the United States dropped a bomb and killed 140,000 people without saying after they were attacked by the imperialist Japanese army. Uh, some way of engaging that conversation. If you're not going to say that, you're not giving context to the story. And if you're not giving context to the story, what the hell is the damn point? What in the world are you doing? And that's my question. What the hell is Fox doing with this story? Honestly, what in the world is Fox doing with this story why did they phrase it like this why are they putting it out there why isn't anybody saying why what the hell is this crazy what the hell is this fakakta nonsense and that's what we're getting from fox so you can imagine what people hear the kind of things that they hear and the phraseology that is used when we talk about the manipulation in, in media and the horror show that is the mainstream media in failing to honestly engage with the people. Oh, and there's a lot of failure to honestly engage. 
you understand they don't necessarily come out right off the bat with with a, with a statement. What they do is engage these types of things. The argument would be, my gosh, look how terrible America is. And now you have to wonder, if we were to take a look at a history class in the United States, is this how they describe what happened? Is there no con- conversation, no nothing at all about uh, the, the, the Japanese and the, and the attacks? The soldiers and, and sailors who, who were murdered? I, I say murder. There might be a different terminology that should be used. N- none? No conversation? That seems to me to be, um, that's certifiable. And it is everything that we now need to start going over. When you take a look at what your kids are doing, when you hear what your grandkids are doing, when you hear what a friend's doing, how is it being phrased? How is it being uh, um, covered, captured, however the, the terminology you want to use? Because if that's it, the United States dropped a bomb on Japan and murdered 140,000, killed 140,000 people. Well, that's not context. That's not a story. That's not the story. I found it very, very problematic. And I, I shouldn't say I found it. It is, period, very, very problematic. That's not an acceptable way to report anything. Really, shame on Fox News for doing that. Oh, we should get into what Fox is doing with its schedule. I'll discuss that. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So if you were Janet Yellen and you were meeting with Jamie Dimon, Jane Frazier, Brian Moynihan today, what would you say? Um, I would tell them to pressure the Republican uh, officials that they donated to and that they funded to do right by our economy. Um, At the end of the day, this is really coming down to are Republicans willing to hijack the economy and harm the American people in order to try to get their political um, goals across the finish line for our future budget? That's Katie Porter. She's just fantastic. A treat, if you will. Of course, everybody's focused on debt limit. They've realized that June 1st may very well be the deadline. You might not be able to spend more after that. You can't borrow more after that. And therefore, you might default on our debts because these people won't stop spending. And now it's Republicans who are holding the country hostage. No, Republicans passed legislation that raised the debt limit. And people like Representative Katie Porter, a Democrat from California, can't accept the fact that they lost a fight. Can't accept the fact that they lost the fight. She lost the fight. But why would she admit that to the audience? Why would she admit, look, sometimes in government you have to compromise? Although she has said that before. She said that on Colbert's show, but she won't talk about it here. Oh, no, no, no. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. As a matter of fact, she doesn't have to. Because oddly, strangely, the CNN host, I think that's Poppy Harlow, says it for her. Are you sure it's fair to just say it's only on the Republicans at this point? When's the last time you heard anybody on CNN ask a question like that? Let me go back to the full question now. 
Are you sure it's fair to just say it's only on the Republicans at this point? We've got 13 days, and it appears that the president is willing to give a little, a little bit on work requirements for welfare. Here's what he said yesterday. I'm not going to accept any work requirements that's going to impact on medical health needs of people. I voted years ago for the work requirements that exist, but it's possible there could be a few others, but not anything of any consequence. Are you willing to support a bill that does include some increased work requirements for things like SNAP, food stamps, or TANF, cash aid, maybe Medicaid? These work requirements are designed to punish people who need help. They're, everybody would love to be having a full-time job, being able to make ends meet, and not being relying on these government programs. The research is really clear. These work requirements simply don't work to force people into the marketplace. What they do do is inflict harm on children and our seniors. Wow. I think President Biden should not should hold the line on this. this. We want every American who can work to do so. But the best way to have them do that is to make sure that they have access to the food and medicine they need to thrive and be able to go out into the marketplace wait a second representative porter first a, a cnn reporter asked that question played that clip do you agree or disagree that's i'm sorry that's pretty good you can respect that you can be like okay all right maybe i would have asked it differently maybe i would have been a little stronger here but conceptually you're like all right that's an actual conversation taking place and a member of congress being pushed you don't believe that people should have to work in order to get benefits or at least try to? What Katie Porter is stating here is that we are better off and you actually get more production by having a true welfare state. You and I go about this from a very logical perspective. We believe that we should help people who need help. But we have in the back of our head this this rational thought that keeps poking its way through we want to help people who really can't help themselves we want to really help people who are really in a bind now for me that's what private charity is all about i'm a huge believer in private charity i'm not so much a believer in the government welfare i'm a believer that the people can help other people but if we're going to argue this from some level of social safety net that already exists let's discuss it that way She's making the argument that the best way to help people is to demand nothing from them, just give them. She's trying to make the argument uh, that she's got data that, that proves that this is worthwhile. You and I, we say, well, wait a second. If you don't require anything and we're just putting our money out, can't more people not work and get paid not to do? My father has been saying the following, I, I've discussed this, he's been saying the following thing for the past 40 years. I, I, I think it's 40 years now. I grew up differently than you. Just remember that. If you have a society, because he saw this, he witnessed people saying that you can't have work requirements, you just have to give, you just have to help, you have to give more, you have to provide more. If you have a society of 100 people, he says, he's been saying it for 40 years, if you have a society of 100 people and 50 people work at the hospital and 50 people are in the hospital, who pays the electric bill on the first of the month? His argument from that is to recognize that this is an untenable situation, that the more you have people just taking, 
the more people will realize, well, there's no need to do work when I can just take. How long can the system survive at that rate where more people are in for the taking? We are not discussing the people who actually need the help. We're discussing the people who take advantage of the system because people like Representative Katie Porter won't recognize that you should have to do something to earn what it is Americans give you. It is wrong of her to be so generous with your money and have such little respect for your work that created that money that the government stole via taxation. Representative Katie Porter has no respect for your work. No respect for your work whatsoever. It's like Joe Biden discussing that those Republicans, you know what their real problem is? They won't do enough to raise revenues. Oh, raise revenues? Listen to this. It's disappointing that our discussions in the congressional Republicans have not been willing to discuss raising revenues, but the policy differences between the parties should not stop Congress from avoiding default. Raise revenues? You mean raise taxes. How else do you think the federal government gets revenues? What are you talking about? Yeah, Katie Porter has a, a lot to answer for here. But you understand in her answer to what is a a well-founded question from CNN. Her answer is not to care about the people who work and not to care if others who get the dollars from the government are working. That's no way to run a country. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today.